Welcome to Women in B2B Marketing, a show where CMOs, VPs of marketing, and all strong women leaders in B2B discuss their top tactics, strategies, and tips for building high-performing teams, leveraging trends, and ultimately rocking their marketing careers. Made by and for women, insightful for all. I'm your host and 15-year B2B marketer, Jane Sarah. Let's dive in. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for another episode of Women in B2B Marketing. Today, I have with us Christina Lord, who is, again, as of this week, Head of Product Marketing at Safety Culture. She's also former Canada, now in Australia. So welcome to the show, Christina. We have a lot to talk about. Thanks so much, Jane. I'm really excited. So first, I'm going to, there's two different routes to go down, right? Your career path and, well, this is part of it, but geographical path, right? So you started in Canada and you can tell us your career and getting into product marketing. I'd love to hear that. And I'd also love to hear what brought you to Australia and we'll go into that a little deeper too. Yeah, I guess product marketing folks can come from so many different functions. They can come from product. They can come from sort of a general marketing or they can come from customer success. So I came from customer success. Uh, I was working in Canada at Shopify on the Shopify Plus, which is the enterprise side of the business. I was working there in CS and I think that gave me such a deep understanding of customers, which is like very core to what a product marketer does or needs to understand to be successful. And at that point, we didn't even have marketing for Shopify Plus. And so it was really service-led and it was up to the CS team to communicate to their customers. And I had customers from Australia, from the UK, US and Canada. It was very, very scrappy days, huge account list. And, you know, one of the first things identified was like, oh, it'd be a really quick win if we could do some sort of like newsletter to tell people about the products that are updating, because we, at Shopify, they ship every day. So it was crazy overwhelming. And we kind of packed together a bit of a newsletter and I ran that and kind of continued and it still lives on, which is pretty cool. And then when the head of marketing, who's kind of a little bit of a mentor to me joined, she was like, you know, what you're doing is like product marketing. I was like, what's product marketing? Yeah. <laughs> and it kind of just developed from there. I think you know, I spent maybe a year on the product side of things. So bringing in that customer advocacy, that lens to being with the product team. And then I went into product marketing, which is just kind of this magical combination and all of my favorite things into one. I, You know, you never learn about it in school, but it's kind of like yeah. perfect thing for me. It's got the mix of the technical that I really like from product. It's got all the fun stuff of marketing that I really like the storytelling, but you get to be super close to customers and you have to be at the cross section. I'm just kind of a busybody. I like to know everything. <laughs> so for me, it's like, I'm just in the, in the middle and I love it. I love that. And it's, it's yeah. so interesting. You, you point out you don't learn product marketing in school. There's so much when we went to school, like when I went to school, at least it was the, like none of the stuff that we do now existed. So it was just totally different. Those, those courses that existed. I recently spoke at a panel at my, my alma mater at Delphi University and they 
it was all about social and the things they were talking about blew my mind because when I was in their shoes, I knew nothing about this, like B2B versus B2C and D to like they were using all the acronyms. I was like, good job, Adelphi marketing. Like, you know, all these things, there's courses on it. I wonder if product marketing is a course it should be at this point. There's like elements of it that I feel like exist in business school. I studied politics and sociology, so that was Ah, not not relevant. I mean, relevant in terms of like the way you think, but not relevant in terms of yes, matter. Yeah, I don't regret doing that at all. I think it was no. It's nice to be well rounded and all that. Yes, but you know, I think sometimes if you're in consulting, that's like got its relevance and understanding market fit and opportunity, TAM, etc. And if you do bits of marketing, it's relevant. But yeah, it is just like a mishmash. If if there was a school that taught a product marketing course, that would be that'd be awesome. I'd be very interested to read the syllabus on that. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And it, it's so true. People that are in product marketing now come from all over. You're so right. Like I, I just hired a product marketing manager, shout out to Ashley, on my team at work. And it was the first hire I made because instantly I'm like this is going to make the most impact because it's a mix of a few different things it's going to help our customers on board it's going to get them to understand the product more and more product announcements it works it feeds into legion feeds into product there's a roadmap like it's everywhere right so it's just key it's wild I mean I remember I know in Canada it felt newer because I I had never heard of product marketing and like I didn't even know when I started maybe 20. 17, 2018. <laughs> um, and like, let me check my resume. I forgot yeah, dates too. <laughs> but like last year, no, it's many years ago. Yeah, I know when I was hired by Canva, they were looking around the world for product marketers. And it was really hard to find in that was right before the pandemic. So obviously yeah. things are changing. More people know what it is, but it's definitely continues to be a growing space. And Product marketing is also different in every company. I've never seen it the same anywhere. It's kind of, you stretch to where you need to, and then you kind of pull back where you need to. So yeah, it's just very dynamic. That's so true, which my next question is probably not really answerable, if that's a word, because of what you just said, and it's different at every company. But what do you think is key to a successful product marketing function? Are there any things that like, no matter what company you're in or for the most part, translate or transition from company to company that are just the core of a successful function? Yeah. I mean, you're right. It can be, it could be anything. It could have a market insights arm. It could have a really strong enablement arm. It could be way more technical, way more product, but it could even report into product. I've reported into, I've never reported into product. I've reported only into marketing and sales. And so even that just really changes the game. But for me at the core, yeah. regardless of your, the, you know, where you need to stretch, it's understanding the customer and being that advocate for customers. Again, like you could be heavily leaning into content. You could be heavily leaning into more sort of growth marketing, but at the core, it's what, who are the customers we're going after? How do we position and message against that? What are the personas? What are the sort of, who's the champion? Who's the decision maker? That's where product marketing is, I think, at its core, is really understanding that and then translating that to the business for shared understanding so that when we go to market, we're going to market consistently. Yeah. Well, can you tell us a little bit about 
safety culture and what product marketing really means there and your responsibilities and or projects you're really excited about, that'd be great yeah. to dive into. Yeah. So safety culture, we're based out of Australia, but we have presence globally. We're a mobile first workplace operations tool, really made for frontline teams. I think oftentimes a lot of tech is made for the folks at HQ, but we're really focused on how do we empower yeah. people in the front line. If you think it's a market opportunity, that's just huge. And so, you know, whether you're on the shop floor, whether you're in manufacturing arm or up at HQ, we've got a tool that really surfaces knowledge and insights to help teams drive improvement in their business. And so with that, obviously, frontline teams could be split into to so many different ways. And for us right now, we're at an interesting inflection point of really expanding our offering. I think, was it, yeah, it was end of October. <laughs> I don't think I know because we were working on this for about a year. End of October, we released, you know, Safety Culture 2.0, we call it, which cool. is the new evolution of our platform. We started off as a checklist app, but now we have an e-commerce arm, a training arm, assets oh. management, task management, and so much more. So it's just, I think, one of many evolutions you'll continue to see from the company, which is really exciting to be part of. It's kind of like really product marketing is a huge, huge role to play in yeah. communicating this, not just internally, because there's a whole internal, like, who are we now? Who is our audience? There's like that. And then obviously, externally, once we've rallied around that, what problems do we solve? What are the solutions that we're best to help attack? And yeah, who are we going after? Yeah. So a couple of things I want to dive into here. One is the kind of two steps you just mentioned. And then I'd love to also talk about how product marketing is different when it's a mobile first product, because that seems so interesting to me, like a fun challenge, right? But first, you mentioned when there's a big change or evolution of a product that you're working on in a brand, it's who are we now internally, and then sharing that externally. What role does product marketing play in both sides there? Yeah, I think internally, it's, and it really depends, I think, on how the product team is structured, but it's really strong partnership with like leadership and the PMs on telling that story. So whether you're a designer, an engineer, a go-to-market person, you're bought in, you get the story and the vision. And I think it's also being clear on what we're solving today versus in the future. I think sometimes we get caught up in, oh, we're creating positioning, but the positioning is getting confused with the vision. And it's like, okay, let's just bring yes. it down. It's like, where are we today? And then where are we going tomorrow and into the future? And I think, yeah, that obviously translates to how we build products, which then obviously impacts customers externally. So I think all of that goes hand in hand. I think sometimes you see internal only messages that were like, oh, it's okay. It's just internal only actually go out into the world because, you know, go to market teams, sales teams, CS teams, support. They're like, well, that's the story we're going out with. And it's very hard to come back from that. That's why internal comms is like really important yeah. in really fast changing times like we're experiencing at safety culture. Yeah, that's so true. So you have to work. I mean, I, I see this for sure with product marketing again and again, probably another consistency regardless of the team or company you're at, but the need to be friends and partners and aligned and collaborate with every division. 
Yeah. I mean, that's my favorite part. Finance, legal, data, obviously marketing, obviously product, design. Like, it's really everyone, which I think is, I think product marketing, if you're looking at a role, and I'm taking it back a little bit, if you're looking at a role that really drives impact, has a ton of visibility, I think I almost feel bad because like product marketing is the face of like all of that. But like really sometimes we don't own the channels. It's the different marketing teams that own the channels. It's enablement that owns the channels. Go to market product, but we're kind of the high visibility nucleus of a lot of it. Yeah. It's pros and cons, but yeah, that's what I love about it. Yeah. So cool. So the second piece to dive into is the mobile first component. How has that been different for you or a new challenge or how does that impact product marketing and your involvement? I think in my career, I've worked at companies that it was the B2B arm of a company that was kind of more B2C. Like you think of Shopify, obviously that is more B2B, it's selling to businesses, but it was, it started as selling to someone trying to have a side hustle or like that kind of thing. And then Canvas, obviously very single player, you know, creating a birthday card and that kind of thing. And so they wanted to go into enterprise in a way that was B2C. And so that means it's kind of like not the traditional sort of B2B marketing channels that we go after. We were trying to be different. And at Safety Culture, it's the same. We're trying to be different than like an SAP or that kind of thing. We're trying to leverage sort of the more B2C marketing channels to get in front of customers. But with mobile first, I think there's huge opportunities for product-led growth. Obviously, we have every tech company has very ambitious goals that they revenue goals, monthly active user goals. And to get that is it doesn't mean hiring like a thousand more customer success people. (laughs) That doesn't really scale. How do you scale it in a way that is really product-led? That's where product marketing partners with product because we are the arbiters of customer experience. So every PM, you know, is going to say, oh, I want someone to see notification about this feature or an email about that. And we're kind of like the the person that protects the customer message, making the message really resonate, not flooding their inbox with a lot of things because we're seeing what's happening across the business. Yeah. So, yeah, when you're mobile first, obviously... It's in the palm of their hand. Their the platform can be a lot more essential to their everyday, but it's up to us to really make sure that experience is amazing, that we're not getting in the way of their experience with the platform. Love that. So I was gonna ask if you're a more PLG or SLG motion. Are you a blend of the two or more focused on the PLG side? I think we definitely want to, as safety culture at least, be a bit more PLG. At Shopify, it was definitely more sales assisted. Yeah. Especially when you think about enterprise, if people are doing what, you know, it's a little bit of a buzzword, but like headless and stuff, it's really complicated. And there was a whole team just spun up to help guide someone in the first few months. And so that was very sales led and longer sales cycles and that kind of thing. And Canva was a little bit of the same way. It was pretty easy to figure out, but you know, scaling across thousands of people is can be challenging and the product had to catch up to the scalability in order to actually deliver on that promise. And so having a success team really hold the customer's hand was essential there. 
So yeah, I think there will always be a little bit of an element of trying to get adoption to grow faster, but it's a fun, fun challenge for sure. And again, more partnerships across the business to get it done. Yes. Do you, you mentioned at Shopify that you launched even before you were officially a product marketer, you launched the newsletter to share all of the announcements and features that were updating to just share that feature update. So do you personally believe from your experience that every feature update should be promoted and shared externally? Or how do you pick and choose what deserves to be shared? feel like you know the answer, which is why that, <laughs> which I love. I need validation or to be proven yeah. wrong. So I'm curious. <laughs> I think I know what you're getting at. No, not every update requires a customer to know about it. And Thank you. Way, I think the way I've managed to get that done. So if you think about a business who started without product marketing, PMs are used to having that direct line to marketing. And marketing, different marketing folks will say, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do that email or yeah, sure, I'll do that notification and an app. But I think when product marketing comes to the table, what we, our main goal, I think, again, is to protect the customer, but then to drive alignment on when we message and when we don't. And so I think a key thing you could create as a result of that, that I've done at a few, well, I guess all three places is a tiered framework. You're going to have your tier one launches. These are category creators. These are the things that are really going to move the needle. These are competitor differentiators. This is this thing we're going to like probably talk about if we can in TechCrunch, you know, like these big updates. And then yes. we have tier two, which could be sort of major improvements to features that already exist. And we'll have tier three minor things that we probably should have had before, which requires a very different strategy. Yes. You don't want to be loud about something you should have had two years ago. It, it does not look good, but there's going to be an audience who needs to know. Customers who've been requesting this feature for a really long time. And you'll have tier yeah. four bug fixes, like nobody needs to know that. So I think, and this only works if you get PMs to agree and be super aligned on the details of the, of the tiering system, because if marketing just, as with anything, tries to say this is, this is the law. It's, it's not going to go anywhere. You need to have the tiers and then you need to sit with PMs and as you release features, agree what tier each feature is. Sometimes PMs feel like marketing is just, there's not visibility there. I think you want to have this, you want to have a really good relationship with your PMs. That's like one of the most important relationships you can have. And you have yes. to have trust, visibility, alignment. So I found that to be like massively helpful. Yes. I love that approach, just having it very clear and identifying and aligning across the teams. What is tier one? What is tier two? What is tier three? Once you have that established, when a new feature update or a rollout comes out internally, do you then label each update as tier one, tier two, tier three? Yes. We work again with so many teams. So we'll sit with We'll first sit with the PMs and kind of map that out. And then we'll have smaller releases coming out that maybe don't have as much visibility. We'll also sit with the, uh, we have a team, the knowledge team who create our support documentation. We'll tier it with them as well, get alignment. And then we'll work with the lifecycle team and then like make sure they're yeah. across the tiers. Go to market also need to know what the tiers are as well. 
because it really defines the channels that you use. That's kind of the second layer is tier one has all of these channels. And it's not, yeah. not every launch is the same, but at least you have a starting point and you're not forgetting certain things. So if it's a tier one launch, we're going to do certification. We're going to do potentially new pitch decks. We're going to do all of these things. Tier four, we'll probably, no one needs to know about a bug fix necessarily. We'll probably put it in Slack and that's fine. It's across so many different things. Tier one might require updates to TCCs, like that kind of thing across the business who needs to be lived in. So we don't forget that this is what we have to do. It doesn't have to be, we're starting from zero every time. We're starting from, yeah. you know this, like we have an understanding, what do we need to do? Great. And we can move fast. Yes. I love that. That's so smart. I'm writing that down to personally bring yeah. back to our team. Yeah. It's awesome. so just to get everybody aligned and have it like you're not, because how it can come off right with product and marketing is that marketing is just making up why this is getting prioritized and this is not instead of both aligning on okay this feels like a big update to you so much work went into it this is huge internally for the foundation of our product but externally it comes off as saying we didn't have this before like yeah. and they're like oh okay you're catching up so it, like having that conversation and labeling it together sounds just so smart I think everything we do, because we are so cross-functional, has to be, like, I think stakeholder management is essential. If enough, I'm doing positioning and messaging, and absolutely not doing it in a silo. It's based off of customers, but also what is product saying? I'll have product, go-to-market, finance, like, all leadership in the room, and we're doing yes. it together. I'm not just, because it will never go anywhere otherwise. That's perfect. So this is definitely a huge win, just strategy-wise. Thank you for sharing. I'm curious, is there anything else in the product marketing world that you see bringing a lot of success or that is kind of your go-to that every team you come into has to be doing X, Y, Z, or that you're just seeing works now? Because I mean, so much has changed, right? The last few years. So, Ooh, I mean, if we think about what every product marketing team needs to be really good at, it's understanding the customer. So yes. going to customer visits, listening to gong calls, dovetail, if you use dovetail, which I, Ooh. and really being close to the go-to-market teams because they're the voice of the customer. And yeah, anything that gets you closer to customer is always a good idea. And then if we kind of go all the way sort of to the other side execution, I think at least for me, I've worked in organizations that didn't have campaign managers. And oftentimes that sits with product marketing. When we did this big platform launch, I was kind of like helping rally the troops around that and having clear documentation, understanding the sort of run of show, hours of meetings every week. This is something product marketing needs to do to rally across against so many different functions and being yeah. that all together. So any sort of, you know, we use Confluence a lot, you know, spreadsheets are always helpful, but anything that just brings visibility and tracking and Gantt charts and all of that super fun stuff that's essential, yeah. I think is integral when you're running big projects like that. Do you think another key, I guess, skill or responsibility, but really it's also a skill set for a marketer that goes into product marketing should they be very organized because there because there are so many things going on at the same time and so many teams you're working with and you just mentioned like jira or confluence right like having to have this documentation that you can share to each team 
I think it's pretty important. Definitely. I think detail oriented, you know, whether you're reviewing copy and or reviewing, I remember for this big launch or a few launches, you always have to review video cuts. You're doing commercials and it's just like, you have to be thinking on all angles kind of all the time. Where are the ways that we could use this? Is this actually going to work? Is the product being represented in the right way? How will this play out in like a few months? How can we keep this a bit more evergreen from collateral to marketing content to, you know, again, anything internal? You have to be detail oriented and have the capability to understand the technicality of the product. Some products are more complicated than others. You know, Canva was incredibly simple. Externally, Shopify is really complicated and safety culture somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it really depends on the product. But yeah, I think absolutely detail oriented for sure. Yeah. How do you measure success within product marketing? There's probably layers of this, but curious what success look like to you? I think product marketing, at least in my experience, has always been tied to product goals. So whether, you know, your goals are monthly active users or for each feature or maybe a platform, how you're tracking that, it should be shared, especially if your role is driving adoption, which it really is through the understanding of the customer, how do we drive adoption of the product? Yeah. In some instances, I've had it be tied to some sales goals as well. So it's really hard to do attribution on sales, <laughs> I would say. It's even kind of hard yeah. to directly attribute it to product marketing because there's so many factors. But I think one goal you could have is on you know creating collateral, but really what does that mean? How is it being used? It's so hard. So. I think at the root of it yeah. is product adoption. Yeah. So interesting. And I wonder like this differs how you measure and how what tools you use to track this. Do you have a fave from working at different companies that I'm sure had drastically different tech stacks? Are there any tools that are like your go-tos for product marketing and especially for measuring product adoption, feature adoption? I, mean, I don't know if I love them, but they're kind of a necessary <laughs> thing. Yeah. Tableau is... That's what I, everyone's used. There's also yeah. Amplitude, but I don't know. Most organizations I work with, it's not, it's always the wrong information. No shade on Amplitude. I think we've just executed on it and maybe not the right way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan of anything that's going to drive efficiency. I think as soon as ChatGPT came out, I was like, okay, yes. That's <laughs> <laughs> my work. And I don't use it like in terms of what is marketing, but more like, summarizing dense information, just being faster oh. in that way. Or if I have to like refine an email, I shouldn't have to spend long on writing an email. Like it should be quick or a big Slack message that will go out to the company. Like I shouldn't have to spend, like, here's the points, reorganize it for me. Boom, done. Love and then that. Let's get on to more important things. How did you, let's go into that a little bit. Oh, I had yes, a whole sure. nother topic I wanted to dive into, oh, but okay. this is a great I in between days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd love to. So I wrote down, let me know if I have this correct. So you yeah. use ChatGPT, obviously, for just to maximize your time, right? Get some, automate some tasks that can be taken off your plate so you can focus on the bigger strategy. Yeah. So, like summarizing dense information, like product docs, right? And then at least giving you a first draft or an outline or information from that to work with email so getting that drafted faster and then third internal slacks like internal comms and updates and stuff 
tell us more. (laughs) Or did I miss anything? No, I think, well, it's less on product docs. I feel like product docs, if an engineer, manager, product manager is writing something, I think a PM should read the whole thing. Like (laughs) there's going to be nuance that ChatGPT will not get or a really key thing that maybe someone didn't think was important that should be like absolutely highlighted. And so I would think that there's probably no shortcuts on docs like that. Um, But yeah, I get a lot of just like internal, like long emails and stuff like that. And I feel like, you know, this could take me 15 minutes to like really come through or, you know, I could just speed it up and just do it like that. I think the whole team kind of knows that. (laughs) So it's like, (laughs) yeah, okay, I'll get back to you pretty quickly because I've used ChatGPT to just get the, get the gist. I also use Wordtune. I don't know if you've heard of that. I haven't. What does that do? It's also AI powered, not content marketing wizard uh, by trade, but definitely makes me sound like I'm a better writer than I am. It'll take what you have. It could make it more formal, make it more casual. A content marketer I really respect from Canva told me about it. And I'm like, oh, genius. Amazing. Yeah. I can get the gist of what we need to communicate, but sometimes you just need to think of what's that word and... Yes. You know, product marketers don't have time. So it's like, okay, it'll give me yeah. like about 20 options of how to change cool. it, make it more shorter, longer. Yeah, I love that. Ooh, I'm going to check that out. I'll try to find it and link it in in show notes. Yeah, I <laughs> recommend. Like Notion's great, Google Slides, Slack. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. I know we can have a whole episode in AI, but the next thing <laughs> yes, I want right. <laughs> to dive into, we, t- we got a ton of gems on, on product marketing specifically. I'd love to dive into your personal journey, like where your career has taken you geographically from Canada to Australia. What got you interested in that and in just moving, how your experience has been? And then if we could get into some of the details, like how do you actually set up working in another country, visas that are needed, that that kind of detail would be so cool to dive into. I really admire people who move countries without the safety net of a job. I did not do that. I had a job sponsor me. And so, you know, depending on the sort of scalability of their mobility team, I think it depends if that really changes the game. So Canvas mobility team is fantastic. They have a whole program around hiring people internationally and bringing them to Australia. So they made the visa process super fast. I think if you're doing it independently, it can take like almost a year sometimes. But for them, it was like within weeks, they were able to get them up because they're super efficient. They are a, a tech darling as a safety culture of Australia. So it was super quick that way. And yeah, I think they were looking for product marketers again around the world. And they only really started product marketing when I started. I was the first one. And I guess it was a bit challenging to find. They were starting again Canva for Enterprise, which was the first foray into being seriously like multiplayer going for those franchises, real estate, agencies, media. Yeah. First time they were really doing that and they felt like product marketing. That was the first marketing hire under that enterprise wing. And because I had experience at Shopify Plus, the enterprise side of that business, I think they felt that was a good fit. And so I joined. Yeah. And it very quickly became all-encompassing enterprise marketing. So I had field marketer, content marketing, marketing operations. I had to choose the marketing tech stack. It was a wild ride, definitely expanded into more than just product marketing, but 
that's what I had wanted. Yeah. I had wanted to be more of a T-shaped marketer anyway and just got cool. thrown in. So that was pretty cool. And yeah, I've been in Australia sort of ever since. Cool. And how has the adjustment been like for yeah. you? I mean, do you have any family there or I'd love to dive into the personal yeah. side too, right? Like how do you make friends going into a new country? And was that exciting for you? Like, did you always know you wanted to go international or this just kind of happened? Um, it's so funny. I, I do have family here in Australia, oh, cool. uh, my mom's side. And awesome. I think in my, as a kid, I probably came here to Sydney, Australia three times. I remember the last time I came, I was actually applying for a job at Shopify. And I remember I had to take a call at 3 a.m. because they were East Coast. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, it's kind of funny how it came full circle. But I remember walking when I was on a on vacation, walking in Bondi early morning, and I'm like, people live here? This is like, yeah, this is real. Coming from Canada where most of the you know year it's snowing it was just yes. wild. And everyone super outdoorsy. There's such a good work-life balance here. It, yeah. I, at some point, I did want to move, and the opportunity cool. presents itself. And I think one thing I've done kind of throughout my year is just, or my career, is saying yes to a lot of things and always just putting my best hand yes. forward. You'll get opportunities, I think, if you are always trying your best, always being kind, having good relationships with people, you'll be really surprised what comes out of that. So yeah, I was super lucky, still pinch myself that I live here. Yeah. The novelty is not worn off. Even being here during the pandemic, I feel pretty lucky because even though it was hard to get in and out of the country, within Australia, you know, the weather's good, the people are so friendly. It was challenging, but I know it would have been way more challenging in other places. So yeah. Yeah. So cool. Yeah, it is so great. I mean, I live in Miami. The weather was such a plus during the pandemic, right? Because you could be outside at the whole year, two, yeah. three years round. So same in Australia. That must have been a big plus. Yeah, getting fresh air and stuff. I think, yeah, Canada can get quite, in Toronto at least, it can get quite cold. And so you'd be yes isolated and inside. It would be, I know my friends and family kind of went through it. And so, yeah. Yeah. Do you find, I'm curious about this in Australia specifically, because I, I just saw a post, I forget, I'm going to miss his last name, but his first name is Axel, but he's big in B2B, I think in Sydney, Australia on LinkedIn, Okay. in the LinkedIn world, but he they just hosted a B2B event there. And it seems like there's a smaller group of B2B marketers and probably product marketers, which actually makes sense because you were saying that they sourced from other countries a lot. Have you seen that evolve or change or grow in the past few years in Australia? Yeah, the space is super small. I remember thinking, oh, Toronto's tech scene, super small. It's growing in Australia. But you know, if you think about like the, the different sort of VC funds, like everyone is just a really small community. Everyone knows everyone, which makes it great. I think you can kind of like yeah. working with some of the same people or reach out to them. Yeah. yeah. It's so nice. But I definitely think it's growing for sure. Product marketing is growing. There's more product marketers in the space. People kind of are getting what it is. We have the Product Marketing Alliance, which is a global network. Come on. Presence. Yeah. There's different meetups. So it's definitely growing, I would say, for sure. Awesome. Because that 
that's another thing I think about, right? Like making friends, but also colleagues and expanding your professional network wherever you are. Because I mean, we're all Zoom culture now, right? And or Riverside, that's what I'm using now. But we're used to that. But nothing beats that in-person bonding of people that are in your space and get the challenges that you, like you can just vent about, oh, this thing happened with product marketing today, or I had this talk with the PM and blah, blah, blah. Being able to have those conversations in real life, it's just so key. It really changes the game. And I think there's like a core group of actually women in product marketing cool. that I kind of gotten to know a little bit, which is love it. Right. And then some of them have experienced the companies I've worked at. So it's kind of just like wild. Because again, the tech company, the tech scene is really, it's still growing. So that's yeah. been so great to have that support system. So interesting. So you gave one piece of advice here on the always say yes to things and keep your mind open and that opens up doors. Do you have any other advice for anyone who is doing marketing in one place, but definitely wants to go abroad somewhere else? Any advice to them on how to start that journey? Oh, like geographically? Yeah. Or, oh, that's a good one. I don't know if I'm a good person to answer that because I was, I think I was just really lucky I didn't intend, I didn't apply to Canva. I didn't kind of seek it out. I had wanted to move to Australia with Shopify at the time, but it was just too early. Yeah. And then, yeah, like when I did two years at Canva, I then moved back to Shopify in Australia. So that was a really cool opportunity, but- The stars aligned. The stars aligned. I think that one thing I've seen work pretty well for others is like, if that company has a global reach and if you spend time with them, you start building those connections with those global teams over time yeah. the opportunity might come up to move there and then that's just a lot easier it's great for the career it shows i think on the resume that you're able to build those global relationships yep that's probably one of the easier ways to do it i think sponsorship at least i can't speak for other countries outside of australia you need to be a, a company that's accredited they need to prove that they couldn't find anyone else in the country it is, wow. it is a bit dip, more difficult to do that. But yeah, I think if you're able to kind of wait for a company to sponsor you, it's definitely a lot easier than going at it without that. Because um, I know yeah. we've done that, which is amazing. I think there's also a global talent visa where you can, uh, depending on what sort of industries you're working in, like if you're in kind of finance or crypto or HR, you're able to get this global talent visa in Australia to get PR fairly quickly. And then you'll have the ability to choose a company which doesn't require sponsorship. So that's another avenue, cool. but not one. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that's good to to share. Thank you. Yeah. There's one more thing that you mentioned yeah. when we were talking about this journey. You mentioned we understanding the customer is number one. So no matter what company you're with, that's key for product marketing success. And you mentioned that in a couple of these positions, you were kind of number one of a new arm of the company, right? And starting a new division. So I'm curious, how do you go about understanding the customer when there are no customers to begin with? There's just Ooh. prospects. Yeah. So like, for example, the, the enterprise arm of Canva, right? If there are no enterprise, where do you begin in, in finding out what they're looking for and understanding your future customer? Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. I think when I joined, the sales arm had sort of been around for a year. So there okay. were some customers to draw from. 
Cool. And so it was definitely a smaller pool to get insights from. But I think insights develops and grows over time. So even if you gather it in January, it's going to continue changing in December. So you have to continue yeah. to stay on top of it. So learn what you can early on that can help shape what the product ends up looking like. So oftentimes, at least in my experience, the enterprise offerings were service-led. There was not that much that was different in the product. And it's really up to thing and messaging to help pitch that difference. And so I think, yeah, gather what you can from what you're hearing on the ground. I think there's no substitution for it. And then, you know, it'll grow over time. But if you're kind of listening to, from what I've kind of experienced, assumptions from leadership, it's not, it might not align and they might be into something for an audience that might not exist or, you know, something like that. So I think there really is no substitution for actually listening to customers. And your positioning yeah. grows over time. The go-to-market strategy evolves over time. So what it is today will look different than tomorrow. And that's okay. Yeah. And having that firsthand research from talking to customers or future customers, like whoever you're talking to and whatever research you're able to get, bringing that back. So it's not just your hunch that battles the exec's hunch. It's okay, but look what they actually want. So how do we meet in the middle here and bridge to position this the way that will speak to them? Yeah. And oftentimes the idea of doing this new arm of the product comes from actually hearing from sometimes investors saying like, oh, I know this. So there there are pathways to get to the people that you want to know. And so it's almost like the cab before the cat, like customer advisory before before you have one. They can be yes. that kind of thing for you. Yeah. There's there. Yeah. There, I feel like there's no substitute. Really. That's so true. Well, I'm curious. We talked through a ton on the actual product marketing side and tangible advice that we can put to use. We talked through your personal journey. If you look back 10, 15 years ago to young Christina, what would you say to her knowing all that you know now? Oh, wow. Yeah. 10 years ago feels like not that long ago, but also it was like this. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think 10 years ago is actually to be very, very honest, struggling in my career. I just felt quite, didn't know where I was going. I was kind of of that graduating class off the back of the um, the financial crisis that was like, oh my goodness. Yes. And I just like did a year more of, I did grad school for a year just to kind of delay the reality yeah. of the world. Maybe it'll be better after this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I just kind of studied what I was passionate about, which again, you know, nothing related to what I'm doing today. Yeah. And yeah, I just, I guess definitely lost. And I, I think that for me, What's been valuable about that experience is that I'm really passionate about helping younger people, younger marketers grow. I think I was so hungry when I was younger to prove myself, to kind of do whatever I could to drive impact and yeah, just essentially have a career. And I think that sometimes to my detriment, but... (laughs) I don't know if I would necessarily change anything. I think when I look back on how I've grown over the te- last 10 years, it's been pretty wild, especially not coming from a business background and just yes. really kind of starting from the bottom in a lot of places. But 
I think, yeah, it still just sort of rings true trying to say yes to every opportunity, you know, in relationships, always learning. I think that's kind of the other thing is when you're really junior, you'll be in those meetings where like 20 people are talking about their numbers and you're just like, oh, why am I here? Like, this is not relevant. But actually, that is the thing you're probably going to do when you're a leader. What are they saying? Like, actually listen, ask those questions. Because sometimes it's like, this isn't relevant to me because I'm not in that department. Or this isn't relevant to me because it has nothing to do with what I'm working on. I'm going to be on Slack doing something else. I think if you can really pay attention to how people are leading, you get that experience over years and have conversations with those people, learn from those people have conversations about that with like your colleagues as well. I think that's something I wish I paid maybe more attention to. I was paying attention, but maybe if I was more dialed in, I would have so much experience, sort of like learned experience from seeing all of these great leaders across Shopify. I was just like, yeah. So yeah. Do you kind of wish that you can rewind like those memories and like focus in, zoom in on the conversation again? At that moment in that company's history, before they like, how did they influence people to do this crazy thing? Or like, yeah, they, what were they tracking? Like, yeah, I just really wish I remembered that. Yeah. Cause yeah, there's so much you can learn. But I think when you're really junior, like, you're like, oh, it's not matter to me. But yeah, yeah, definitely try to pay attention to that. That's great advice. I wonder if I bet subconsciously a lot of that did stick with you and you know it. It's just not top of mind to be able to repeat, but it probably all layered into getting you to where you are today, that exposure, right? Yeah, I think to a degree. I think I've been able to work under some really awesome, awesome leadership and when you start having you flipping the table and you're now you're that person trying to inspire other people, you're like, okay, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, pretty cool problem. Wow. Yeah. So you mentioned that you're you love to kind of pay it forward and help bring younger women who are in marketing and product marketing under your wing and teach what you can and what you've learned. Are you open to mentees right now for any listeners here? They want to reach out. (laughs) Totally. I mean, I'm in Australia, so time zones aside. Yeah, absolutely. I think Shopify, Canva and here, it's like what I love is finding talent in non-traditional areas and spawning Mm -hmm. that and being like, you would be a really great product marketer or you're already a product marketer. Let's throw you into this. I think you can do it. Yeah. It can be a little jarring, but I think that's how you learn. Because, you know, when the stakes are high, you really have to step up. And so yeah. that's something I'm so passionate about is identifying top talent, bringing them in. Had the opportunity to hire some really awesome people at Canva as well. They were growing. They are. They continue to grow rapidly. And then Shopify, I think, because it was one of the first product marketers. There's been some awesome people that came out of support or customer success. And I was like, you guys, they need to be on our team. They are yeah. still connect with them today. And now they're very cool themselves and that's just awesome. Yeah. Uh, love that. Just seeing people grow and like knowing they deserve it and seeing them win. So exactly. cool. And then those people could be the leaders that you have in the future. You don't know. So you never know. You know, you're so true. It's a very rewarding thing. And I think, yeah, it's important to kind of work with leadership, learn from leadership, but also the people on your level or under like you got to 
you got to help raise other people up. That's so important. Yes. Yeah. Love it. So many words of wisdom. Thank you so much, Christina. And everyone, she's joining us on a Saturday morning in Australia. I so appreciate that you taking the time on your weekend to chat with us. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. And I, uh, such a fun conversation. Thank you. Yay. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. If you like the episode, share, share with a friend, review, rate. It helps us just get in front of more people. And the best place for anyone to reach out to you, Christina? LinkedIn, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not on TikTok? No? LinkedIn? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a lurker. I'm not a poster. No. Yeah. <laughs> Same. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Well, thank you, everyone. We'll see you next time. Have a great day.